New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today, I'm hosting Dr. Kate Gustin. She's a psychologist and the author of the No Self-Help Book, 40 Reasons to Get Over Yourself and Find Peace of Mind. Kate, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Ah, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Kate, I know that we create whole worlds inside our head and most especially our personal identity that we feel is ourself yes. that we've created. And you teach that there is a better way of moving through the world as no self. <laughs> Please explain, what do you mean, no self? All right. Well, no self comes from the Pali word anatta, which means not self. This is a concept in Buddhism and Hinduism that really looks at what are we that is continuous, you know, what's true about who we are that's not just these changing thoughts or changing feelings or changing physical sensations that we're having. So no self is helping us get in touch with what is sort of the the primordial consciousness that we are that is underneath the story or the narrative that our mind tells us about. So, all right, getting underneath our mind. Yes, yes. That's, something... a, that's a tall order. <laughs> These thoughts that are talking to us all the time, how do we get over that? I mean, it's, it's this constant barrage of talk, 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 talk. Yes, and we tend to identify with ourselves as those concepts, those words, the nouns, the labels, the thoughts. But another way of getting in touch with what we are is uh, thinking of self as a process, selfing. So it's this sort of continuous flow of experience. Like right now what's coming up through me is, uh, you know, are certain words and certain feelings. It's, it's sort of an evolving process of becoming. There's a selfing that's happening. But there is also kind of the, the, the ground or the context that holds all of that. Not just the concepts and not just the process, but it's kind of like the sky. You know, there's the, the clouds and then there's the weather front, you know, the content of us. But the sky is also what's true about who we are. It's this very neutral and ever-present field of awareness that makes space for whatever arises through it. And that ever-present field of of awareness is us. It is. It's not separate from us. It's not like, okay, we'll pray to God in heaven, you know, as something outside of us. It's something that... It It is intricately connected to our moment-to-moment experience. There's nothing that I can touch or feel or think without the knowing of that, the consciousness of that, the awareness of that. That's not something that's just an emergent property of my material brain. It is kind of the primordial ground of being from which forms come out, from which our experience takes shape. So are you saying that the we that is, or the I that is truly I, 
as witness. Yes, the no, observer, the, the witnessing observer, presence. Witnessing mm-hmm. presence. All right, describe that a little bit more. Flesh ah. that out. The paradox here is that it's hard to give language. Like, you know, if I were to describe the sky, I would say it's spacious. It doesn't have an agenda. It's not judgmental. It's inclusive. Those are, in fact, the qualities of our consciousness. Everything kind of arises within it. So who I am in my largest sense is not limited to my behavior on its worst day or me at my best. You know, those are moments in time. Those are passing kind of thoughts or behaviors, you know, this sort of spacious context in which I reside that is inherently wholesome and full of potential that keeps manifesting some expression. It's like a fountain. It just keeps going. So the word spacious context, mm, that's, mm-hmm. those are such beautiful words. So that's something available to us at any moment. That we might be having an argument with our spouse or or our boss or whatever, our kid. And we can then shift our view to this spacious context. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Now, you know, at the surface level, there is still a, a dialogue or a disagreement or even an argument that's happening. But to the extent that we remember that what holds that... You know, are two people, two expressions of this consciousness that is animating itself through these seemingly separate personalities that are seemingly needing something from the other and that in conflict about that. So to the extent that we can kind of relax that and remember sort of the larger holding, the larger context, that helps soften the moment and makes us a little more skillful in terms of interacting interpersonally. Okay, so it helps to soften the moment. Right. We're less likely to just follow our, our mind's sense of what should happen or what the other person should do for us or you know, our body's kind of tension and impulsivity. We can see that those things are arising as well as, hmm, like a breath, as well as an awareness that there's love within this context. You know, there are so many other components that are equally true. So you're saying to switch into this spacious context and soften into it, there are more possibilities than our normal habit of the way we usually react to things. Yes, and we're just trying to remind ourselves that in the most charged or habitual mode that we can bring in this reminder of our largest self and see what that has to offer in the moment. I know another analogy that you use in your book that helps to describe this spacious context Mm -hmm. that's always available, that's ever-flowing, that's connecting us all. You talk about lamps and light and Ah, and that. So can you help us to see that analogy? Sure. So if you think of the bulb, that's kind of a, a person's sense of self and the, the shade is sort of the body, and the self and the body, the, the bulb and the shade, they do age and they do have, you know, certain limitations. But the flow of electricity, that is kind of this ever-present consciousness. You know, the electricity isn't going anywhere, and if a particular bulb burns out or the shade kind of dims the light, the electricity and the potential for luminosity is still the same. So, you know, this is just a, a metaphor to help us remember that 
you know, that light that animates us, that sort of spirit or awareness consciousness that we are, is ever present. There may be something, you know, some physical illness going on with our body that appears to dampen it, or there may be some kind of interaction that kind of hides it from us, but it's still there. That's helpful that it's this stream of energy that yes. is always present, and we can tap into that. Yes. And it helps us to relax into a larger field than right. our normal everyday consciousness yes. uh, that, that just kind of focuses where our eyes focus and that litany and story we tell ourselves in our head. Right. Like a client was saying the other day that in her experience of coming into contact with this, it was, you know, sort of a realization that she can rest in peace. You don't have to be dead <laughs> for that to happen. Right. There is this peaceful way of abiding within this larger consciousness, this larger expanse of who one is. It's very peaceful and it's available. What does this have to do with love? Mm. Well, that's an interesting question. That light of awareness that is what animates us, it's the same that animates everyone else. And the recognition of that, uh, you know, for example, when you look in another person's eyes and you see that you share that same consciousness, the felt experience of that is love. So in, in these times of great polarization mm -hmm. in our culture, even worldwide, here in the U.S. and, and also in other places, there's great polarization. Yes. How does this realization help us mm. in mm -hmm. that situation? Well, you know, instead of being separate on our own individual islands of our mind's creation, you know, this kind of global consciousness, it's a reminder that we're all in this together and we are of the same thing. And when you approach problems or decisions, issues from that perspective, you're more likely to make decisions based on what's in the best interest of the greater good. You know, you're no longer seeing like your individual resources are at odds with other people's needs or resources. There's a collectivity, you know, there's an ethos of caring that emerges, less aloneness, less narcissism, less grasping and accumulation. That sounds like a good place to be. Yes. That, and you say it's a natural kind of outpouring. It's not something that we then strive for. It's yes. And what's interesting, research studies have shown that when people deliberate less, you know, so when the mind isn't as self-referencing or, you know, me, myself, and I, when people just spontaneously give to others... That is what happens as the first impulse. But when the mind starts deliberating, what do I need? Or, you know, how is this going to affect me? That's when, you know, a tendency towards not being generous comes up. It's when we resort back to the self-referencing. But the first natural impulse is really to care for others. And you can see it in children. So when we go through our normal way of being, it's like we think, okay, we get more money and we're going to be happier oh. or get more security or whatever it is that we try and accumulate that this is going to lead to the happiness that we want. Right. So you're saying that that's a kind of a hamster wheel it of, is. It is. of striving for happiness. So what is the way to truly tap into to this happiness? happiness. Right. Well, Peace or happiness is an inherent nature of this no-self, of this larger consciousness. So it's not necessarily that we have to 
do something different or effort in a different way. It's when we cease doing that, you know, when we cease believing in the dictates of the mind, underneath that there is something that's very quiet, there is something that's very wholesome, and to the extent that we can sort of trust that and rest as that, that is fulfilling for us. Is this why meditation is very beneficial? Because it gives us that moment of tapping into that quietness? I mean, Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, and, and I think meditation has been used as a method for all sorts of things, you know, for relaxation and... You in that know, way, it's kind of become a commodity. It, it has, but the reason it operates so well in those ways is because this is what's underneath it. It's not just sort of um, a technique. It's a way to guide you back to your home base, this consciousness. You're not expending as much energy getting wrapped up in the, the mind's sticky spider web. You're able to sort of disidentify from that and then see, oh, well, if I'm not that, you know, the, the web my mind is spinning... What am I? And just even asking that question is so sort of exhilarating and freeing. And so then we approach that with a great deal of humbleness and, and curiosity. Yes. And just kind of rest. They rest, right. Because the ego doesn't know the answer to what that is. But, you know, we can do our research and we can, um, you know, have an, a lively discussion about what we think it is or just how it seems to sort of manifest in the moment. But it's, it's a discovery. It's, you know, this amazing kind of mystery to who and what we are. So are you saying that if we're practicing this way of being in meditation, then we can carry that out into our daily life, that, that experience is available to us? Exactly. And it takes some practice, not again, because we have to effort something, but just buying into our mental content has become so habitual. It's sort of the worst addiction that it takes a little bit of practice to sort of unlearn that habit. That's all. We're just trying to unlearn the identification with thought. And the, the more detachment we can have from thought. I mean, again, we can always call upon the mind when we need to to solve an issue. It's a great tool. But the more that we can become familiar with how to rest, not just as thought, but as what's underneath it, then we really benefit from that. I want to thank you so much. We've, we've covered a lot just in this yes. short period of time. I want to thank you so much, Kate, Aww. for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I've been here with Dr. Kate Gustin. She's the author of the No Self-Help book, 40 Reasons to Get Over Yourself and Find Peace of Mind. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website. It's no self help Com. And the dash isn't spelled out, it's just a dash, no-selfhelp.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Thomas. Thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe, and I invite you to please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. 
You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.